This podcast has been made possible by Planful and U.S. Bank. This is episode number 602. Probably in the first week of March, we had to close our Seattle office uh, and have people work remotely. And it was about the second week in March that we did the same for our Portland office. We know from a couple of large events that our clients were sponsoring um, have been canceled. But we also see there are some opportunities for us to use our services to help in, in this sort of environment and get the messaging out in paid and social media in, in, in ways that don't require a physical conference or event. It's Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak to Peter Mayer, CFO of CMD Agency, creative marketing and advertising firm based in the northwestern United States. Peter had a history of gravitating to firms that were rich in culture and had a mission. That's what he says he found at CMD. Our talk with Peter begins after this. In an ever-changing world, it can be tough to keep up with the latest FP&A trends and innovations that keep you ahead of the game. Luckily, there's a podcast for that. Tune in to Being Planful, the podcast for finance leaders and planning experts, and stay in the know about what's happening in planning and forecasting. Guests like influencer Chris Ortega, Boston Red Sox CFO Tim Zhu and Brian Lapidus of AFP will keep you up to speed on how you can put finance in the driver's seat this year. Find the full episodes at beingplanful.com or wherever you get your podcasts. P.S. Think you might make a great guest on the show? Shoot host Rowan Tonkin an email at beingplanful.com at planful.com. services or departments of children's services, and they were often institutionalized in, in large facilities or in what at the time was known as group homes. And the founder, Byron, came along, and he was a former group home manager, and he 
being told the staff one day, what if the house burned down, what would we do? And each of the staff said, well, they'd probably take one of the kids home. And he said, all right, let's, let's pretend. And so they all took a kid home over the weekend. And then they compared notes uh, the next week. And it was pretty astonishing how much progress they made with these kids. These were tough kids that had emotional and behavioral issues. And uh, yet they, they, on a one-on-one in a natural home environment, they progressed a lot better than they did in the group environment. And that led to him founding Mentor with nothing more than that concept. Sort of tested, if you will, over a weekend. Um, he got a second mortgage and launched Mentor. And uh, it took off. It truly did. So how big was it when you joined? I showed up in 85 when it was in three states, and maybe we were 4 million. By the time I left, we had uh, gotten to about 18 states and were closing in on 70 million. Along the way, we sold to a public company, then we bought ourselves back, then we sold again. So as a finance guy, I sort of was a roller coaster ride of all sorts of experiences. I started as a financial analyst and ended up being the CFO before I left. It's just such an unusual organization from what we usually encounter. Yeah, and yet I would expect the finance career path to be much the same as anywhere else. Was it? Probably after a couple of years there, um, the controller Joe had a health issue uh, and couldn't work the hours required. And the CEO, pretty creative, interesting guy named Byron Hensley, uh, who founded it, uh, came to Joe and me and said, guys, would you switch roles? And that's where we hang on to your talent, Joe, and uh, Pete can put in the hours and, and manage the staff. And we, we agreed. And uh, Joe mentored me through the tough accounting stuff while I came up to speed on how to how to manage the staff. And this is such a kind of an unusual uh, organization. I mean, did you, uh, as you talk to other finance, your finance peers out there, people who might have been in more traditional business organizations, how do you think your, was it the same job, or were there certain parts of it that were uniquely different? Good question, Jack. I think the so there's always some generic things that are constant in any industry. The finance is a back office, and so you've got your payroll and receivables and the usual things. But the, the nature of the work we did definitely, um, I guess it, 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 it uh, appealed to me, appealed to my soul to know that the work we were doing um, was actually helping an organization that was really profoundly changing the lives of kids. And that was a mission that I think resonated with a lot of the managers and a lot of the people that, that came to work for Mentor over the years. And just as yourself, and I, I seem to have uh, inserted myself here midstream among your, your experiences, but I'm curious, was this a, a track you would stay on beyond Mentor? Were the organizations that you became part of after Mentor somewhat influenced by that initial experience? For sure. I think the, the experience with the people is the experience I worked with some of the same people after leaving Mentor. Um, and I feel like uh, since Mentor, I've only recently come back to that same level of a management team with the drive, the common shared vision, the camaraderie, um, meaning CMD, which I know we'll get to talk to a little bit later. But Mentor really was unique among 
as my circle of friends and contacts in that I was friends with my colleagues. We were vacationed together. We dined together a lot. It was, uh, in that regard, it was very different than some of my uh, classmates. What strikes me about these types of uh, organizations is how uh, sort of the front line team is so invested uh, in what they do, and there's a, there's a real, uh, you know, sort of emotional component to dealing with some development behavioral issues, I would imagine. Um, for you to work side by side uh, in the finance capacity, it's just such a different world, but maybe not. Meanwhile, you have a shared vision. Yeah, I mean, th- th- that offers an opportunity. Sometimes when everybody sort of has, has a lot in common, it's hard to it's hard to get your point of view across because everybody has a, sort of their opinion of, of, of something similar. The next thing uh, or, uh, about Mentor and, and TMD and some of the other organizations I've been in is when you have uh, a shared vision, when you have people that are, that are united behind what it is the company is trying to do, trying to make a difference, it, it certainly gets everybody on the same page but when you talk about your points of view, it was a little different because I got propelled so quickly into management on a job title basis. I was um, somewhat ahead of my classmates dealing with issues that they weren't. The bigger the firms they were, the more specialized they were. Um, I think for a lot of them, um, we probably at some point, you know, 10, 15 years down the road, we were more... Uh, aligned in the level of responsibilities, but I got a chance to just really uh, jumpstart, if you will, my career. And in those early years at Mentor, it was, um, you know, we were, we were creating things on the fly as, as we went, and it was, it was pretty exciting. I actually got to travel to the different offices and work with the managers and build their budgets, got to know their business, got to know them, saw their specific challenges, and I got to say, that was... That was a game changer for me because it, it turned me to be someone that could advocate for them. And they saw me as somebody who could get them the help when they needed it, who understood their businesses, who took the time to come to see them on their turf, being able to help operations improve their performance and, and truly being seen as a resource and not somebody appropriate for whom they just have to submit information and comply with. Right. Well, now we'd like to find out about CMD. Tell us about this company and uh, what are its offerings today. Yeah, so uh, CMD stands for Creative Media Development, and then we use two DBAs, CMD and CMD Agency. CMD has been around since 1978, based here in Portland, and we have a small office up in Seattle. It's a full-service creative and marketing agency. Um, I probably can't do justice to it. The, the website certainly does a good job, um, but it's what I—it's a—it's a unique experience for me. I came mostly out of uh, behavioral health and then private education, uh, and a lot of those things were similar in terms of serving the kids in, in different types of facilities with an emphasis on clinical care or an emphasis on education. They—they they had a lot more in common. Um, this agency world is something I'm, I'm learning. I've been aboard as a consultant for over a year, and I'm coming up on my first year of, uh, of, of being an employee. 
Um, it truly is a creative organization. I'm dazzled by some of the work they do for clients. We have some marketing clients. Um, we provide everything you would think of an advertising and marketing agency. We provide marketing strategy for companies. We do uh, commercials, video work, email com- campaigns. Um, they have a full suite of what you would need when you're trying to get your brand, your website, your product launched. I had a very different opinion of what, what it meant to be in advertising and marketing. This is learning the business in the same way I do. You have to learn every client's business so that you understand it well enough to know what their KPIs are so that you align your marketing and your advertising strategies to help their KPIs deliver. You arrived, actually, I guess roughly around a year ago. Um, can you share with us what, uh, you know, as you enter, whether you felt like you had to reorganize finance at all or do things differently? What was uh, what was top of mind for you at the time? Well, if I go back to before I started being an employee, I was pulled in basically to uh, uh, just help keep the trains uh, running as the uh, controller went out on maternity leave. Ben, ben Rankin, the, the, the CEO, sort of tipped me off that they were looking to acquire the company back from Jeldwin, the parent company, and uh, would I be interested in helping? And I had done my share of deals, and I was very interested in helping. And so I would say that first uh, 10 months or so was somewhat surreal because the, the people in the know when are working on a deal were limited to about four people and our professional advisors. And so not only did we keep the company going, but we were somewhat clandestinely <laughs> plotting and working to acquire the company back from Jeldwin. So it was a extremely busy, but um, again, pretty exhilarating time, and we successfully closed that deal on May 24th of last year. Then to your point, Jack, after that, yes, there was a transformation necessary to take us from being a subsidiary uh, for 20 years uh, under Jeldwin uh, to being a privately held company that was now its own master and uh, needed to uh, sort of make its way on its own, so to speak. You had to have your own set of books. You had to have your, uh, maybe you adopted some of the software that you were already using, but it had to become, you know, central to your operation. That's sort of a... Yeah, the finance side of it was, was probably the, the, the part that changed the least initially. I'm doing more overhaul now after we've sort of gotten our feet under ourselves. But I would say the bigger challenge was my uh, HR colleague, Paula, who had to get a whole new set of benefits in place uh, and did a damn good job getting them in a, in a way that made them seem almost uh, seamless. Um, we got lucky in one regard, I guess our healthcare provider, uh, Regents of Oregon, had their counterpart regions of North Carolina, and so they were able to shift the plan, so we didn't really have to get too far afield. But they were, were absolutely right. We had to get, we had to be able to solve for the legal, the accounting, the reporting, uh, benefits. I think that we thought getting the deal done was hard work, but then getting through the transition to put all those pieces in place were, were equally a, a challenging time. So what 
what was the transaction exactly? Can you enlighten us? I'm sorry, were you spinning something being spun out, or were you being acquiring something, or what were the original? Yeah, I, I guess I can say enough that um, doesn't get me in trouble. We we essentially formed a company, a holding company, to buy the stock of CMB back Geldwin. So, with the help of uh, some private investors who have met the entire staff, we raised the money to acquire the stock. And so, we didn't have to change our tax ID number. It saved us having to fire and rehire people. So, it was about as seamless as possible, but I guess technically, it's, it's just a private company now. It wasn't a spin-off, per se. Can you give us some sense of, uh, we always like to ask about metrics and top of mind uh, numbers. And what it does is it really reveals to your finance uh, peers out there the nature of your business. Uh, so an agency, one would imagine you're billing clients, uh, but, but can, can you give us a sense of what's being measured, what's the pipeline, what are you looking at in that pipeline exactly? Sure. Uh, well, you touched on it. I'd say the lifeblood of an agency and most companies is its revenue. In, in the case of an advertising agency, we have dozens of clients, and we work pretty much on project basis. I know uh, the, in, the industry is organized in a way that, that the top tier uh, are these large global marketing advertising agencies that might have retainer relationships or, or being known as agency of record. CMB is more of a regional player. Um, we do have clients with, with national and international reach, but we really focus um, in the Northwest uh, primarily. And so uh, the metrics, I look hard at, uh, you know, when you talk about a pipeline, we do formally have a pipeline. We look at the different stages deals are in the pipeline. Um, we are still in an industry that is largely driven by professional services based on hours and rates, but we're trying to move away from that um, and get into something that's known as value pricing. And so I'm getting a full education on all the different uh, strategies that some of the more successful um, advertising firms are starting to employ, and we're trying to get on that train. But I think at the end of the day, it's not unlike a lot of other businesses. You want to keep an eye on your margin. All revenue is not equal. You want to be selective at the work you do. You want to do work because it either enhances the bottom line, it enhances your skill sets, it's something that is exciting and interesting for your staff. I mean, nothing like having a bunch of creative staff that needs something to fuel their, um, uh, their creative juices. And so... Uh, we sort of have a blend of, I guess you'd call it, B2B work as well as B2C work, uh, and, that, and that blend helps us get through um, a variety of challenges. Um, well, uh, speaking of challenges, we do want to ask you about the pandemic. Don't take us back. Tell us about uh, your initial steps to manage the business and uh, what, what are your, your priorities now? I guess... In the first week of March, we had to close our Seattle office uh, and have people work remotely. And it was about the second week in March that we did the same for our Portland office. 
I guess we had the good, the good fortune of having had enough experience working remotely as an agency. A lot of people have flexible schedules. A lot of the work we do is digital. Um, it, it's impacting us. It's still unclear as to what the second quarter's revenue is going to look like, but we're projecting it will be down probably by 25% at least. Um, we know from a couple of large events that our clients were sponsoring um, have been canceled. Uh, so that has a direct impact on some of the projects we were doing. But we also see there are some opportunities for us to use our services to help in, in this sort of environment and get the messaging out in paid and social media in, in, in ways that don't require a physical conference or event. So it's, um, it's going to be interesting. Um, we were... I gotta say this in the, in the nicest way. We, we strive to not have to close the business or, or seriously um, cut back staff. We had a, a relatively small risk of about 5% of the population uh, last month, and we imposed a salary reduction, sort of a tiered salary reduction, depending on how much your annual salary was to avoid a more broad uh, rift, if you will. Um, and we have recently applied for um, relief uh, through one of the CARES uh, Act programs, the Payroll Protection Program, to be specific. Um, but it's going to be largely based on how much revenue we continue to generate while we're in this sort of remote environment. The other offices tip you off to uh, some of what, uh, you know, with the Seattle office, we were, we were hearing from our employees up there, our manager up there, and, and um, my mother was, was um, hitting them in a way that we hadn't yet seen down here in Portland and been hearing about, wasn't quite constantly in the news like it is now. So that office um, was smaller. Again, everybody has laptops. Everybody has the internet capability. A lot of our deliverables are digital, and so we could still service many of our clients that way. We're really just losing traction on the events right now, and as some of our clients pause some of their product launches or their campaigns, um, nobody's outright saying the revenue is going away. They're just pausing things, and so. If we get through the second quarter, we might be looking at a surge in Q3 and Q4. Um, but there isn't, um, it's hard to have a whole lot of clarity until we get past whatever they're saying the, the, the key metrics are for this virus. Um, okay, well, thank you for that, that snapshot in time that many, many businesses are facing the same challenging questions. We are now up to our Finance for Stupid Moment question, where we ask you for one moment in your finance career, where your line of sight led you to respond to a risk, an opportunity, whatever it may have been. Uh, what comes to mind when we ask for a finance for Stupid Moment? The one that comes to mind was sort of when I was um, working for an organization called Brown Schools. 
that was a conglomerate of uh, behavioral health hospitals and facilities. And my former CEO at Mentor had become the Brown School CEO and had asked me after we had moved out here in 96, we moved out from Boston, Portland. A couple years later, he said, how's it going? What are you doing? I said, fine, I just left uh, an organization locally. I'm not sure what I'm going to do. And he said, well, come, come, come work for me again. Come help me out. We've got some acquisitions we're working on, and you could, you could help us. So I went to Tulsa, Oklahoma, weekly, to work on a deal with a doctor there, Bill, great guy. Um, and the Brown Schools was looking to buy Bill, and they put me out there to see if um, – to take the team out there and see the business, meet the founder, see if it's everything that it's touted to be, and work to get the deal closed. So I was on the ground in Tulsa pretty regularly over a three-week period of time. I had those colleagues come with me as we checked out the clinical protocols, checked on the finance. And every night, Bill would have me out to dinner so that we could uh, talk about the progress whatever we were finding, to learn more about the Brown School and kind of just get to know me. Um, one day, <laughs> in reviewing his financial statement, we discovered that a lot of the revenue wasn't really revenue. They were deposits, and they had not yet been earned. And so I needed to restate the trailing 12 months. Forgive me if I, I get a little technical here, but uh, a lot of deals are still valued on EBITDA, a multiple of EBITDA, and that's based on your trailing 12 months' performance. So I have the startling realization that uh, this business wasn't worth what he had touted it to be, and so I quickly called my boss and said, look, I, here's the situation. It looks like um, instead of it being worth $4 million, it's only worth $3 million. I haven't yet alerted Bill to that, but we're having dinner again tonight, and I'm prepared to give him whatever messaging we want. Do we still want to buy the firm? My boss said yes. I said, okay, let me see if I can keep it on the rails. So I had a long dinner with Bill and uh, uh, walked him through everything and explained why. And the epilogue here, and, and I'll get to the point of, of why I think it's um, an aha moment for me was, Bill invited me to his celebration after the deal was done. He had it in a fancy hotel in Dallas, the mansion at Turtle Creek. And he actually, in front of his entire set of friends and family, he talked about how I cost him a million dollars. And then he got me up on stage and gave me a crystal pineapple because he had learned through our dinners how I grew up in Hawaii, and the place started howling and laughing and clapping. It was terrific, and, and for me, it just meant that finance done right does have a strategic role. It, we, we, we brought a set of businesses into the fold, so to speak, and we did so in a straightforward manner that, that worked for the buyer and for the seller, and, you know. At one point, I was fearful that the deal was going to crater because of what I found in the numbers. But um, it didn't play out that way. I'm happy to say I was part of helping make sure it stayed on the rails. But yeah, it was uh, a memorable moment. When we return, CFO Peter Mayer enters the mentoring. 
The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. We're back with CFO Peter Mir, and we're entering the mentoring round where we begin by asking you about that first time you took on the CFO responsibility. If you were to think back now, the person you were then, what is that piece of advice you would give yourself? Anything come to mind? Interesting. Um, I guess my first. Uh, CFO gig was was it mentor, which was I talked about earlier. Um, probably along the lines of the early nineties, um, I, I became the CFO as my boss, the CFO Tom Riley, became the CEO and sort of moved up in tandem. Soon after we got we got wrapped up in buying ourselves back from a public company. And that was a that was a a, a huge um, pressure cooker. Uh, we partnered with an investment banker out in New York called Bleacher and Company, which scared me because I had read them and Barbarians at the Gate only months before, and then I got to then I got to meet them, and I saw what I thought I was skilled at with spreadsheets. These guys ran circles around me. Their their financial modeling was was the, the big leagues. Anyway, I, I learned something that I had not learned. Mentor was acquiring, uh, was not acquiring business. Mentor was growing through organic growth. We were marching across the country, sort of one state at a time. And buying ourselves back, I, I met with investment bankers who day in and day out uh, work on deals. And I saw the whole, the whole world of, through a different lens now, how, how can you grow a business through acquisition as opposed to just organically, or how can you do it in concert with your organic growth? So, you know, it's, it's always a nice, humbling experience to realize you know only what you know, uh, and that was a, that was again a sort of an eye opener to me. Uh, maybe my first deal, and certainly a, a big deal, um, literally a, a management-led leverage buyout, a thing that is hard to use anymore. But it was, a, it was a great learning experience. I guess if I had the, the terrific mentors, um, no pun intended, that was the name of my firm, but I had two very strong mentors in, in the CEO of Conrad and the founder, Byron Hensley, who for years before I became CFO had been there for me and, and helped develop me, and I learned from them. So I'm not sure I could say anything to myself that they hadn't already pointed out, but um, I would have said, stay put, stay with Mentor. These guys are... Uh... We always like to ask if uh, there's a personal habit or part of your daily routine that you believe in some way has contributed to your 
professional success. Uh, anything come to mind? I was always an avid reader. It helped me in school. But what I lacked in school or didn't, didn't learn was the discipline on, on applying my, my skills and, and staying at it and pushing myself. And that discipline came from, for me, was an eye-opener that happened, I guess, in college. I was um, somewhat of an athlete, and the track coach spotted me and said, hey, I think I can teach you how to throw the javelin. Come out to the track team, and I'll make you a javelin thrower. And this track coach, Patrick Mulcahy, at Pomona College, had a, had a vision, and it ended up forcing me into a, a routine. I was a pretty small, skinny kid, and so I became uh, kind of a, an exercise addict. I had to put on weight. I had to get stronger. And I swear, I think I started that my sophomore year, and I don't think a week goes by that I'm not in the gym or I'm not out running. So the the regimen, and then I got into marathon running, um, and you can't train and finish a marathon without mental discipline. So I, I know it's probably a, a cliche or a commonly used, but the discipline I got from working out regularly, which I still do, and the, I guess the, the camaraderie that I got from being in a team sport environment, both sort of flowed into my professional life where I'm um, pretty social with my colleagues and I'm competitive <laughs> against the, you know, the, 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 the competition. I would say it's the discipline that I learned from regular exercise. So we are up to our final question where we ask you to look forward and share with us your priorities as CFO of CMB going forward. What were those okay, things? So getting through the current environment means um, uh, getting getting some um, help, if you will, from landlords, from from our bank, from investors. Uh, hopefully, have got some very supportive investors. Um, and the relief that we can tap into from the CARES Act will help us get through this tough spot. And then once things get back to normal, it's, it's really just continuing to grow the business um, in a way that we had in mind before we were derailed by the virus. Uh, we had a good operating plan. We had a good sense of uh, the support that we needed. We had a good team of staff. Um, so it's um, sort of getting back to what we were hoping to be doing. Thank you for joining us on CFO Talk Hello, listeners. Do us a favor. Be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts or if you're an Android user check us out on Spotify or Google Play. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 Print Edition debuts on Amazon this quarter, featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. 
Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? Order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening.